Welcome to The Secret Life of Entrepreneurs. Stay tuned to meet today's guest and hear their story of what makes them tick, what drives them to succeed, and their role in growing a thriving business community. The Secret Life of Entrepreneurs chronicles the success and secrets of locally owned businesses and owners. Listen in live as we discuss their secrets and learn how they are making a positive impact in their community. You're listening to your host, Bart McGrath, business leader, entrepreneur, and founder of the Get Found on Google program. Let's get started. Our guest today is Dr. Vian Timmons, and she's the president at the University of Regina. She's going to tell us a little bit about her past experience, what keeps her going, but most importantly today, or one of the most important things today, is we're going to talk about an award she recently won from the YWCA of Regina, Women of Distinction. She is the award winner for Lifetime Achievement. So welcome, Dr. Timmons. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Barb. Um, first of all, thank you for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. So I, um, I've been in Regina now 11 years, 11 years as president of the University of Regina, which has been an amazing experience. Wow, 11 years, that has gone quickly because it doesn't seem that long. I know, it's gone really uh, fast, so ups and downs through that, but um, I'm still standing, I always say. <laughs> and you always will be, I'm sure, Vianne. <laughs> well, I g- grew up in Labrador. Um, yes. I come from a big family. There are six of us children in eight years. My father was a minor. My six b- children in eight years. Wait a second. Sorry, that math just clicked for yeah. me. Your poor mom. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. What a strong woman she was. She was. She was. And uh, Italian Catholic, so okay. very committed to the church. And yes. of course, no birth control was supported at that time. Yes. Uh, my dad was a minor and my two grandfathers were minors. So I would have come from what you would say was pretty blue collar, poor family background. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Um, my uh, grandfather was an Italian immigrant and we, uh, we had a fabulous childhood in Labrador. We didn't realize that we didn't have much. We didn't have a car. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a television. We ah. just, we just thought life was great. That's how it was. Exactly. That's yeah. all you knew. Mm-hmm. And my brothers and sisters and I are extremely close. They're my best friends in the whole world. Wow. And so, you know, I had, I was surrounded with all of this support and love by mm-hmm. them. So it was a, it was a great childhood. And my mother was very interesting because she realized uh, when she was pregnant with my baby sister, Linda, her sixth child, that she couldn't afford to send us to university. Uh, so she enrolled in a correspondence business program at Queen's University. Okay. My mom had never stepped and into a university classroom and mm-hmm. has never mm-hmm. taken a university course, but she took a whole program by correspondence. And that okay. wasn't like the internet. That were the books no, were sent to you and yeah. you had to sit at your kitchen table and you had to do the work. Exactly. It, it's, you know, I took a couple of correspondence classes when I was in university because I wanted to fast track my way through the co-op program. And it's harder. Yes, it's it much harder. And as you say, there was no such thing as the internet at that point in time. No. Right? So I have memories always, every evening, my mother was sat with us while we did our homework. Mm-hmm. I can remember mm-hmm. getting up one morning and my mother was holding Linda, the baby, and she was swinging Shannon on her foot. She was stirring porridge on the stove and she had her books in the back she of the stove. She had her textbook there As somewhere. she was studying. So, you know, she was kind of what I remember in terms of hard work, mm-hmm. uh, work ethic, 
you know, if you work hard, you get it. So she got what was called an industrial registered accounting degree okay. um, from Queens. And then she was able to, to work really hard. She got a, a bookkeeping job and then ended mm-hmm. up uh, moving up to, to an accountant's job. And that was the reason we were able to go to university. Wow. So she, she had a real vision for what she saw for her children's future and what she wanted for each of you. Yeah. So did everyone go to university? Yes. And also my father. My father, one thing he never, um, he, he never, uh, was cheap on with books we were f- the home was filled with books yes so both my mother and father you know uh all of us went to university at one time there were four of us in university and leaving labrador to oh, go to university wow. wasn't cheap right no but my parents no. say that on their 25th wedding anniversary they had enough money to split a clubhouse sandwich in a local diner oh right that's how go. tough it was it was yes, really tough exactly but they had their their priorities were very clear to them right? The anniversary celebration compared to their children's education, right? So all six of us are university educated and it has changed our world and our path and different Mm -hmm. than many of my cousins, right? Who didn't have that opportunity. Yeah. So um, I am always grateful to my mother, not just for what she did, Mm -hmm. but for what she showed us, for the role model she was. The lessons that you learned from her. You know, there's something called imprinting with children. And I talk a little bit on the show about my own kids. Um, My daughter has been adopted. And so we learned early on uh, what imprinting means. But that's what your mom was doing, was she was imprinting, even though she didn't say, Vianne, you need to work hard, right? It wasn't what she said. It was what she did. It was her actions, right? And, And that's what stays with us, with people. Yes. Wow, that is incredible. Now, your siblings, where are they now? They're all over Canada. They I lost are. one of my sisters to um, H1N1, that flu. Oh. Do you remember when she was 46, mm-hmm. she caught that and she didn't make it. Okay. So that was very hard on us because we're very yeah. close. But um, I have a brother in Vancouver Island, a brother in Calgary, a sister in Edmonton, a brother in Ottawa. So they're all over. And my mother's still in, she's in Nova Scotia now. Maybe. Okay. Yes, and so she's still with you too. So uh, when you travel for work, do you find that you're able to connect with them quite often? Not quite often. Sometimes, oh. so I'm. You know, I when I go when I go for work, I go for work. I'm right. pretty focused. Mm-hmm. I go there and I come home. You know, so um, yeah, uh, that's that's a bit bit of my personality. I'm very. Right focused if but we used to for 20 years we got together every summer and so you know we we, all the kids grandkids grew up together Mm -hmm. and that was really important my and very important to my mother yes oh absolutely so let's talk about that you just made an, an interesting statement you're very focused and in order to achieve the success that you've had being the president of the university for the past 11 years you had to be focused so tell us a little bit about Vianne coming up in the system and I presume that you taught at the university level for a number of years before you moved into your current role yeah I went uh, I did an undergrad in English and psychology and then I did a special education degree at Acadia University uh-huh. in Nova Scotia okay and then I started teaching children with unique learning needs mm-hmm. and what I found out very quickly is I couldn't learn enough every child was so interesting so and different, different. Mm-hmm. so I did my master's at uh, Gonzaga University which is a Jesuit university in the United States in Washington oh, okay and then I did my PhD in educational psychology at Calgary and I mm-hmm. was teaching in the school systems at that time and then ah. I then I got my first job as a professor mm-hmm. at St. Evex University in Nova Scotia so okay. moved my family back east and um, uh, began there. How many times have you had to move your family? 
Wow. I um, <laughs> I've moved my family quite a bit. And my kids talk about it because two of my daughters were moved while they were going into high school or in grade 12. And, and that was tough for them. So I moved many. I've lived, you know what, I've lived in every province in the Atlantic Canada. I've lived in okay. Newfoundland, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, um, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Wow. I was a co-op student in university, and over the four years, I moved 17 times. Oh my goodness. When I finally, you know, found a job and stayed, it was hard. Like you kind of got the itch a few months into it to maybe pack up some stuff, cleanse a bit. And even now, we have a, a beautiful home, but I'm still somewhat of a minimalist. I don't want a whole bunch of stuff. And I swear it has something to do with having moved 17 times. So I in could four learn years. from you, Barb, because I'm the opposite. <laughs> I, because I think things were so hard to acquire when mm-hmm. I was young and we were so poor that when I, you know, I still have clothes from when I was 21, you know, because I, I just don't want to let anything go. And I am determined they will fit again one yeah, day. I know right. they will. Yes. I, you know, Vianne, I've, I've told a few people this story. Uh, my mom used to sew my clothes. So very similar background. My parents uh, both worked hard for everything that they had. Um, my mom used to make me patch pants. She loved to sew and she would have scraps and leftovers. So she would turn them into something for me right? So here's a new pair of pants. And as a kid, you're mortified. Like, mom, really? In her mind, though, I mean, she was doing everything she could to be able to give us something new or give me something new, right? It's neat. So I can absolutely rate. All right, let's talk a little bit about the um, YWCA s- celebration that happened here in May. Time is sliding by quickly. Lifetime achievement, Vianne, that is, that is something that, that must have filled your heart and Tell us a little bit about that experience. So when I got the phone call, I was stunned and so honored Mm -hmm. and so humbled because I know the amazing women who have gotten that award. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Jackie Shumiach or um, Roberta McKay, some women in this community who have had such a phenomenal impact, particularly in the arts and the culture. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I wasn't sure they were giving it to the right person. But, you know, when I think back of the, you know, the my work, and my passion has been people with disabilities, mm-hmm. children with disabilities, uh, women issues. You know, I mean, I run the mm-hmm. Inspiring Women Forum every year. I've yes. done it for 10 years here exactly. in Regina. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I hope that I had made an impact on some people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think the YWCA is an amazing organization and they that are. they honor women's achievement. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, Barb, if you saw the picture of all the premiers at the recent premier meeting i saw the lack of female participation Mm -hmm. that that grabs my heart that breaks my heart Mm -hmm. Uh, you know i thought in the 1990s um we were going to make a difference i was the first woman dean of education at the university of prince of Island. then i became the first woman vice president uh, academic and i really thought we turned the corner Mm -hmm. and it's like i woke up in 2010 and realized we had not you know in in the 1990s there were 18% 18% of the women president, uh, the presidents in Canada were women. Okay. Well, we're 22% now. Oh, like, it's hardly budged. 
it isn't hasn't moved and going backwards Mm -hmm. in many ways so and that's something that concerns me when I look at students who are in university right now my own kids who are still in elementary school um, we have some really strong public influences right now that seem to be pulling us backwards and for everything we fought to move forward our own children are thinking oh well this is normal and that really concerns me and I I hear my kids talk and I'm they don't like what they say see either so in some ways I'm okay with it but it's going to have an impact it's going to influence thinking and behavior for generations to come how do you approach that in the university world that's the world that you can influence how do you make your mark and and start to make that change well when I was younger and I would see uh injustices in particular around gender I tended to be quiet because I didn't feel safe in saying anything. It was really something, and this is really important for younger women starting the career. You, you know, when you see an injustice, I always say to people now, name it and shame it. Uh, the challenge you have is you have to feel safe to be able to do that. So yes. I can remember when I was at a university and um, I, had, I was head of the department, I had my PhD, I had transformed the curriculum in the department, I had worked so hard tirelessly we hired two men one without a phd one who just got his phd and they the salary was negotiated by a man who was above me i didn't get to i got to recommend to hire but not the salary and he hired both on a higher salary than me and i remember going to see him and saying i don't think this is fair and that took a huge amount for Mm -hmm. me because i was always raised to be a good girl and not to make waves and you know, not to be too dramatic and mm-hmm. not to, you know, all of those things that yeah, society don't does. Don't be overt. It's yeah. okay for boys be to be overt and be loud, but no be girls, be quiet. So he said to me, well, your husband, you know, uh, has a military pension. You don't need the money. I'm giving it to them. Well, my husband retired from the military after 20 years. He had a very tiny pension. Mm-hmm. I was horrified, but I walked out of his office. That night I got a call from an, a president of a university who wanted, uh, to, was trying to recruit me, and I put my application in, and I left. Absolutely. You know? But mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't, you know, expose that. Now I hope I would, yeah. you know, because I, you know, now I'm in a position of privilege and power, and mm-hmm. I recognize that, and I want to use my voice right. to support those who don't have that. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and it's it's unfortunate how often we still see it. We see men with less credentials walk into an opportunity where women who were much more credentialed are, are passed over. Um, and in many cases, they're internal. And, oh, well, we can't see her at that next level. You can't see someone at that next level unless you give them the opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Right? And that is getting lost in the system. Absolutely. And, it, you know, it's it's sad to me because I still see so much gender bias, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I hear conversations, you know, around uh, different faculty members. Well, she's so emotional. Well, he's so passionate. Well, she's so difficult. Oh, well, he's a tough negotiator. Like the language we use mm-hmm. in our in society mm-hmm really takes a trait that is a quality to admire in a man and makes it a quality to not want in a woman. Exactly. And it's happening all the time. It is. Yes. I've actually heard another colleague of mine um, talk about the exact same thing. Two words. One has a negative connotation. One has a positive connotation. And yet the man gets described with the positive connotation. And Yeah. yeah, somehow we've, at the same time though, 
I don't want to lose what is feminine, what is unique about us. It's that we look at someone being emotional as a negative thing because it makes us feel uncomfortable, just like conflict. Lots of folks don't like to deal with conflict. And so let's ignore the conflict and right. So those sorts of things. Um, You were fairly vocal during the Me Too um what would I call? It? I don't want to call it a trend. That's well, the it's a movement. Wrong. Yes, me too. Movement. Hashtag Thank Me you. Too movement. Yeah. Yes. So tell us a little bit, bit about that because again, there was a safety and security element there, and you clearly felt confident in your position and um, having some influence over young women. So you decided to speak out, and young men who have been impacted. So I, you know, when the hashtag Me Too movement came out, I talked to my three daughters mm-hmm. and I said to them, "Have you experienced sexual assault?" Well, my oldest daughter, she cried. And she just said, I can't talk about it, mom. I was sh- shocked. Oh, wow. My second daughter said, no, I don't, I, I don't recall. I do not think I've had that experience. And then my youngest daughter uh, was raped on a university campus. Oh, so wow. I, I, I thought a lot about it. And you know what? Even myself, I, um, in the last few years, I was at a, um, a meeting, um, a big conference, and a man was talking to me. And he touched me inappropriately. Mm-hmm. And he thought it was funny. Yeah. And he'd been drinking. Mm-hmm. And I walked away and moved. And he came and he did it again. And mm. I ended up leaving the conference mm-hmm. because I didn't want to make a scene. Make a scene. And I remember walking up the hill back to my hotel. And I stopped and I was so nauseated and filled with shame mm-hmm. and filled with guilt. Like, what did I do that made him think he could do that? Yeah. Uh, what can, like, I didn't do anything about it. What's wrong with me that I let him, and that's in quotes, Mm -hmm. do that. Um, I should have shamed him. I'm the one that always talks about that. And I remember going back to my hotel room and calling my husband and telling him, and he said, you know, Vianne, if you as a, you know, in your 50s as a successful university president don't know what to do in that situation, what would a 19-year-old do? Exactly. And so I, I actually parked it in my mind, kind of compartmentalized it. But when the hashtag Me Too movement came out, I thought mm-hmm. I, I started to talk about it and say it's very hard because it really brought home to me how much shame you feel yes. and how much guilt you feel and, and how we're taught not to make a scene, mm-hmm. you know, and all of those emotions that, that you know, that, that hit you. Absolutely. And sometimes you think you, you would never let that happen to you. I would never let someone touch me inappropriately. And then in the moment, in the situation, you just, you, you're in shock exactly. and you just react and you survive. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to talk about that guilt and that shame because my youngest daughter, she was drinking when she was raped okay. and she was filled with guilt and shame. Thought She didn't sh- report it because she felt that she'd contributed somehow to it mm-hmm. and she did not, yes. right? And it's such, so prevalent for women, you know, uh, you know, what were you wearing? What did you say? Oh, How did you exactly. look? Were you flirting? And so we are, you know, we have all of this to deal with. Mm-hmm. And, and and we are not safe. How many men yes. worry at night when they're walking to the car in a parking lot? Yes, there was a there was a list of questions on social media a while back. Have you ever this and have you felt? And I had my husband read it and he just looked at me and shrugged his shoulders and like, what? I said, I can answer yes to every one of those questions. And he looked at me and just dumbfounded. Yeah. The, in a million years, the majority of men can't understand what it's like to walk across a dark, empty parking lot with a set of hedges on either side. Yeah. And be afraid. Yes. And be afraid. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, you know, I came out because I mm-hmm. thought as, 
you know, a woman um, in her 50s, I want to talk about this. And I want to do it for my daughters. Mm -hmm. Because my generation, we tried to be super women. And we didn't talk about things like uh, sexual assault or inappropriate sex. We we could do everything. We'd accomplish everything. That's right. And I think, you know, I remember sitting on a toilet in a university bathroom, pumping breast milk, sobbing, thinking I can't do this. So I had a three-month-old. I was back to work. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was just struggling. And we didn't talk about how hard it was. Mm-hmm. And so my daughter, who has two children, sometimes she'll say to me, Mom, this is so hard. What is wrong with me? Yeah. You guys, you didn't have it that hard. Mm-hmm. Well, we did. Yes. But we, we didn't we talk about this. We were trained, so to speak, to ignore it. Yeah. Right? Just swallow it and keep on going so now i i'm trying to be much more open and talk about issues in particular around women and women leaders that that are there that mm-hmm. exist yes exactly well good for you i know in my house we always talk about permission if you don't have permission to touch someone you don't and i have a son and a daughter so typical siblings they love to fight and he often you know loves to I won't say touch her, but like, you know, he's slapping her on the shoulder and he's slapping her on the bum and she freaks out and it's always him who gets in trouble. So he'll say, well, that's not fair, buddy. That's life. You do not have permission to touch and you don't. And the same rule applies to her, but she doesn't, she's not overt, right? She's very much being trained again to be a good girl. And we won't go down that rabbit hole because that drives me nuts. Even when I see in the school system, the way boys and girls are, what's okay for a boy and what's okay for a girl. It is so, so different, right? It is. It is. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about Vianne. So your daughters are how old now? My oldest is uh, 43 and I have a 40-year-old and then I have a son who's uh, 30 Mm -hmm. and a daughter who is 26. And it sounds like you have some grandchildren in there. I have two grandchildren children from my oldest daughter and my son and his male partner they just adopted a little girl really where did they adopt from toronto so her name is sirsha which is gaelic for freedom oh which i love because my uh, son's partner's from northern ireland Mm -hmm. oh very cool now that's interesting that they were able to adopt within canada yes that can typically be very challenging so well they're great dads they're great dads was it a long process for them about a year Oh, that's not too bad then. No, that's not too bad at all. Excellent. All right. So uh, three children. Four children. Four children, three grandchildren, one husband, and one very busy job. How do you balance it all? What does a a day in the life of Vianne look like? So I don't. And you know what? Again, um, I've been to every workshop I think there is on work-life balance. And what I've realized that, you know, for many people to be successful and to be able to accomplish things you have to work really hard Mm -hmm. and so I've done a few things to help with the work-life balance but I do not have work-life balance okay a couple of things is that you know in my um fortunately being at a university Mm -hmm. the kids could get dropped off at school at the university so they would be with me to do their homework and then they would drive home with me so I got those times that time with them okay universities are great with you know uh music and basketball and soccer and all these games so my kids came with me to mm-hmm. a lot of the university activities and sports games so they they became part of that world and that's right that helped a lot I always tried to stay at work until I got my work done and if it okay. was six o'clock and then I got to go home or seven o'clock but when I got home I wanted to be there a hundred percent for the children right and so that's what we you know I, I sometimes would go in Saturday morning but then at noon on Saturday they were 
they had all my attention. Mm-hmm. So over the years, you know, I, I tried different strategies, but those are the things that worked for me and for mm-hmm. my children. And um, I like that. I like that. Knowing that you're, you're done. You don't need to check email. You don't need to finish a project. You don't need to reread something. I like that. That's that's what I tried. I still need it Mm -hmm. to check my email, do the projects. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it was the best I could do Mm -hmm. under the circumstances I had. So, you know, my kids, um, I also took them to a lot of, uh, uh, lectures and talks and so I think they had a they they had a wide breadth of experiences oh absolutely they would have been exposed to many things that most children wouldn't have had the opportunity yeah absolutely um I'm just looking at the clock so we only have a couple of minutes and of course the show is intended to be about entrepreneurialism and I know you're not an entrepreneur but the university is building new entrepreneurs so can you talk about that what are some of the things that the university is doing to help build some future entrepreneurs well I think every student that comes to the university is a potential entrepreneur Mm -hmm. right and we have specific programs in the business schools and I would not call myself an entrepreneur in terms of business Mm -hmm. but in my job, you have to be innovative. You have, you have to, to be, be very entrepreneurial. You have to manage in tough financial times. Mm-hmm. You have to make do cuts. You have to hire. Yes. You have to do many things. And the one interesting thing, about, I know that the, your program's a secret life of entrepreneurs. You know, <laughs> uh, in my world, there is no secret there life. There are no secrets. I remember right. um, waking up 5 a.m. one morning and coming downstairs in my house coat. And they to turn the lights on and all of a sudden five faces were in my window in my house they were engineering students who were on a scavenger hunt and one of the things they had to do was get a picture with me and they waited outside my house all night to get a picture until the lights came at least they waited i give them credit and they got the picture but i'll tell you we changed that scavenger hunt never happened again but you know that that Many of the things are parallel to entrepreneurs in mm-hmm. the world I work in. You know, you have yes. to, it's tough. It's tough times. Yes. You know, you, you a multi-million dollar organization, uh, I have 3,000 employees, you know, almost 16,000 customers or students. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it, you know, many of the things uh, that entrepreneurs have to deal with I have to deal you with. You deal with as well. And I like that that perspective. 16,000 customers. When you think about students, not necessarily as cattle, but they are your customers. They are your livelihood. And if they rise up because of a change in policy or a change in tuition, that's going to impact your world yeah. fairly significantly. And some faculty would say that, you know, they're students, not customers. And I understand that they are students, but mm-hmm. our job is to serve them. Absolutely. And to serve them well and to make mm-hmm. sure they get a great education. And, and we have to listen to them, we have to yes. listen to what goes well and what doesn't go well. And if we don't listen well, mm-hmm. then they have the ability to go to other institutions. That's so right. much like a business. Yes, exactly. Very much so. Um, I used to do some teaching in the business faculty and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Not necessarily the content of the course, not necessarily that it was an 830 class on a Monday, but spending that hour and a half with students twice a week the discussions that you would open up and just that rich brain power that happens that brainstorming they they were sponges they just wanted to understand what this this world was going to be like and they want to influence this world 
in a positive way. So often we hear stories and, and think, you know, millennial generation or next generation and, you know, where are we going? No, they, they genuinely want to make a positive impact. And absolutely, they have a different perspective. They should. They're a different generation. And Barb, you know, I have such faith in our future mm-hmm. because we have the most socially conscious, the most globally aware, mm-hmm. um, the yes. most literate, literate which is interesting yes. a generation coming up mm-hmm. and these young people are phenomenal i agree with you i uh, i know they're going to leave the world in a much better place than we left it for them yes exactly i agree wholeheartedly all right we are going to head into show wrap up vian thank you so much for joining me today it's been an absolute pleasure to see you again and to have a chance to have this conversation Um, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I know how incredibly busy you are, especially at this time of year. Um, And I'd like to thank everyone for listening. So let's think about when we'll be back. I'm not even sure when I'll be back right now. Uh, Let's see. I will be back on the 18th of September (laughs) to think through those dates. Um, And we will... So we'll be back on the 18th of September, and at that time, we'll have a new guest in the studio um, heading back into some of our more traditional conversations around entrepreneurialism. If you're out of time, I'd like to thank you for joining us today on The Secret Life of Entrepreneurs. As always, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please email me at barb at googlegirl.ca or reach out on Facebook and Instagram at AboveTheFoldCA. Just a reminder, you can even submit questions in advance of the live show uh, on any of our social media channels. I'm your host, Barb McGrath, local business owner, digital marketer, and Google girl. Remember, you worked hard for your success. Don't keep it a secret. Bye for now.